you know, in saying thank you to you, I, um, I really wanted to mention many people's names. But as I, in my mind, started going through that list, I thought it would be impossible. So let's not go there. I, I just, uh, <laughs> well, I don't know what else to say, except that you've been phenomenal. I love your staff here. Uh, it's been fun working with them. And uh, they have wonderful attitudes and they're in love with the Lord. And I know you already know that. But uh, thank you again. Um, I, I didn't know what to speak on the last Sunday here. I thought of about, uh, about preaching on the text, uh, all things have come to an end, but they really haven't. <laughs> so you may recall the first Sunday that I was here, I told you the story about a woman after I had preached who shook hands with me and said to me, she was a German lady, that was better than nothing. And uh, my hope has been, I mean, I told you then that I hoped that that would be a reality here, and it's been my hope, and uh, you're so gracious, thank you. Well, um, let's begin. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he spent 40 days uh, connecting with individuals and groups. And it was an incredible time for the disciples. We cannot really put ourselves into their shoes, but uh, they were there when the ascension occurred. Now, what is the ascension? It, it was that day when Jesus was taken up into the sky and disappeared into a cloud. That must have been something else, right? And the angels came and said to the disciples, what are you just standing there for? You know, kind of get to work. He'll come again in the same way that you saw him leave. And so uh, there they were, these few disciples, and they were the church, the body of Jesus Christ. And while they waited, they prayed. After ten days, and ten days later, after they had been praying, they were all baptized with the Holy Spirit. And their lives would never be the same. They would be challenged beyond their comprehension. Peter tells the story of one of the first major mind-blowing challenges that he was faced with after Jesus had departed and after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's recorded in Acts chapter 11, and this is what it says. One day in Joppa, while I was praying, I went into a, a trance and saw a vision, something like a large sheet was let down from its, by its corners from the sky. And it came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of small animals, wild animals, reptiles, and birds that were not, I was not allowed to eat. And I heard a voice say, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. <clears throat> Never, Lord, I replied. Don't you love it? <clears throat> I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I've never eaten anything forbidden by our Jewish laws. But the voice from heaven came again. If God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. 
This happened three times before the sheet and all its con- it contained were pulled back to heaven. Just then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where I was staying. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry about their being Gentiles. You see, the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with the Gentiles, so this was like a big issue for Peter. To go anywhere to be with Gentiles, would, would, was, he just wouldn't do it. Well, he, he went on, These six brothers here accompanied me, and we soon arrived at the home of the man who had sent us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and had told him, Send messengers to Joppa and find Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and all your household will be saved. Well, I began telling them the good news, but just as I was getting started, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as he fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to argue? I was on a, a short flight from Atlanta to Alexandria, Louisiana. <clears throat> Excuse me. The plane was a, a Saab 340, and I was assigned to seat number 5B, which is an exit row. The flight attendant came by, reminded me that it was an emergency exit, pointed to the exit door, and said to me, lift it, twist it, toss it. And off she went. I laid back in the seat and I got thinking, you know, lift it, twist it, toss it. No comfort zone there. I thought about Peter and his new assignment that God had given to him. And I think about Pastor Glenn Teal and his new assignment. And I think about the Davison Free Methodist Church wondering what's ahead for you all. For you, for this region of Michigan, and, and way beyond. Lift it. The Bible says in verse 5 that Peter was praying while I was praying. You know, in order for us to understand the kingdom of God, <clears throat> my friend Richard, he has a good name right there. <clears throat> He's one of the first guys I met here, and I, I've never had any trouble remembering his name. While I was praying, our understanding of the kingdom of God, our comprehension of what God wants to do in us and through us can never be realized unless we are praying. When Luke describes the scene among about 120 believers after Jesus had ascended to the Father, he simply says, they all met together continually for prayer. You see, if you are a praying people person, you understand that direction and inspiration in life comes from communion with God through prayer. This is how we get lifted out of the mundane and into the eternal. And out of prayer comes vision. While I was praying, says Peter, 
I went into a trance and saw a vision. Now, we don't usually go into trances, but we do, if we pray, get a vision that is beyond what we can, in our own strength, comprehend for the life of the church. Last Sunday, as, Dust, as Justin Deary was leading the congregation here in prayer, I was taken with the expressed concern for the poor, the disenfranchised, the homeless. He prayed about Family Promise, the national organization that has called churches to partner together in addressing the need of the homeless. About 50 people from this congregation went to the informational meetings regarding Family Promise and, and learned about it there. And several of you signed up as volunteers. In fact, it was interesting because seven people signed up agreeing, if, if desired, to become the leader of that ministry. Your board and your new pastor have affirmed this. It's just kind of one of the possible future ministries for the Davis and Free Methodist Church. I don't know whether, what other future ministries you'll have, but I know that they're going to be abundant and they're going to be effective. There are certain principles that accompany a God-shaped vision. We should look for these when we're praying, and we should test these when we're making decisions. Does it look outward? Does it create a stiff challenge that only God can bring to pass? Does it reflect the interests of God himself? And does it conform to the scriptures? Well, Peter describes his vision, the lifting of his sights, like something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky. When I looked into the sheet, I saw all sorts of small animals, reptiles and birds that we are not allowed to eat. Tradition. And I heard a voice say, Get up, Peter. Kill them and eat them. Well, Peter was really facing a stiff, difficult challenge. Deep traditions were being confronted. Strong religious beliefs were being overturned. And so I wonder, like, what is your vision for the Davison Free Methodist Church? Are you simply going to leave that up to Pastor Glenn? Or are you joining in prayer with him and for him? Are you engaging your mind? Are you wondering what is it that God has for us, has for me as a person, as a worshiper, as a leader in this congregation? Remember when Pastor Teal spoke here two weeks ago, he started by saying to us that the shepherd of this church is Jesus. That we pastors are simply under shepherds. Oh, we have intense responsibility to lead. But it's always out of, an, out, of, out of and in harmony with the leadership of Jesus. And so the question is, for the church everywhere, all of the time, what is the vision that Jesus has for this church? How big do you think it might be? Do you think it would kind of blow your mind away like it did with Peter on this particular day? Peter, you see was not just being lifted, he was being twisted. And he didn't like it. He wanted ice cream. He was offered possum. There might not have been a possum in that, but there probably was. Has anyone here ever eaten possum? 
Have you really? God bless you. <clears throat> All the possums I've seen are, were flat. So anyway, uh, God is speaking to Peter. And he says, get up, kill and eat. And Peter's response is interesting. You've got to be kidding me. Or to quote more literally, never, Lord, I have never eaten anything forbidden by our Jewish laws. Tradition. Every group has traditions. You have some. I've seen them. Uh, every group has some things that they regard as sacred. These traditions and sacred items, sometimes called sacred cows, may have nothing to do with Scripture or with God's vision or hope for the church. They may have, but they may not have. God comes along when we pray and He lifts us he gives us vision and he twists us away from everything that does not conform to his vision. And he challenges our assumptions. He says to Peter, if God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. Well, Peter continued to resist. Uh, you know, we can get into ruts. We can lose vision, but God is not through. I love this about the Lord. He keeps coming at us as individuals and at His church. We can resist what God wants, but God is faithful. He's at work. He keeps bringing situations and people into our lives that call us to huge dreams. Dreams and ideas that can never be realized apart from God himself. And so there is Peter, troubled, resisting, hanging on for dear life to the sacred cows and traditions of his past. And what happens? Well, just then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house. And the Holy Spirit told Peter to go with them and not to worry about their being Gentiles. It's amazing because the Gentiles, the, the Jews had no association with the Gentiles. It was not kosher. Well, Peter's defenses begin to drop. Vision gets confirmed by others. We are the body of Christ. There's no such thing as a solitary Christianity. You know, Brad Button, your former pastor, has this vision. Now he's in a broader ministry. He has this vision that every free Methodist church will be a local, global congregation. That our concerns and prayers and giving and going to serve globally, listen to this, will match our concerns locally. Wow, that's a vision. Uh, what if we... We're giving as much to worldwide spread of the gospel as we are to our ministries here. What if every church across the country were to do something like that? How would that transform the world? I hear the 
heartbeat of people like Aaron Cook and Kathy Johnson for Uganda and for Marty, from Marty and, and Cheryl Trepas and Kendra Luna for Haiti and, and from Glenn Teal and John and Judy Cross for China and from Don Smith for Mexico. And I know that there are other visions and dreams that are a part of this incredible congregation. I wonder, what would it be like for a church like the Davison Free Methodist Church to send or to find ways for all of your high school students and all of your college students to spend even a week in a third world country? What would it do? What twisting would result? What traditions would die? What sacred cows would be slaughtered? I have an 80-year-old brother. He's deeply in love with God and he is constantly serving and giving. It's just what he does. He heard this story about Jessam, Haiti. Jessam is a little community way 2,000 feet up from sea level. You cannot get there in a car. You have to have a four-wheel drive, high-profile uh, truck to get to Jessam, Haiti. There are no jobs there, none. Uh, they, the people there uh, feed their children by raising the five crops that they know how to, to raise. They build their buildings out of the little materials that they can find in the area, just little shacks. And uh, my brother saw a picture of their school in Jessam, Haiti. There it is. The school of Jessam, Haiti. He looked at that and he was kind of astounded by it. And then he learned that there were about 50 students in this school. There, there were four classrooms. There's one of the classrooms seated at their desks. Their desks, I say, these are two by eight uh, planks that they sit on attached to a two by eight plank that is their desk. And that's what they look like in their classroom. There's their young teacher. This, this kind, these pictures just... Um, really bothered my brother. And he began to pray, you know, is there anything that, that, uh, that I can do in Jessam, Haiti? And he, he began to think, you know, there is something. I, he's an architect and an engineer. He began to think about uh, building a school there. So he took his ideas to some other people in the church and to the pastor and others began to look at the pictures and began to pray. I'm just trying to describe how vision gets unfolded in the life of a congregation. As they prayed, uh, more people began to say, there's not only something we can do, we must do it. And so they discussed it for a long time and they began to ask, is this of God? Can we help? My brother began to design some things and and uh, people began to come on board. The church began to raise some money. They began to pray for workers. They decided when they would go, which was a year ago, November, and a year ago in January. They formed two teams. One went for one week, and one went for another week. And when they were all finished after those two weeks, they had a school in Jessam, Haiti. It's interesting because only half of the children in, ha in Jessam, Haiti, even went to school. And the reason only half of them went to school was because it cost $4 a year to go to school. $4 a year to go to school, and their parents couldn't afford it. 
And so this church uh, said, you know, we need to raise up sponsors. We need to get uh, people involved in the Free Methodist Child Ministry uh, program and, and, uh, and, and give $25 a month for the children in Jessam, Haiti. And so they raised up 50 people to give $25 a month. And now in Jessam, Haiti, they not only have 50 students, they have 100 students and they have uniforms and all of them have a meal every day to eat and, and uh, they're able to take care of the school and now they can pay the teachers that they have and now they have eight classes and uh, now the church in Jessam, Haiti has doubled because they've seen what a group of Christian people are willing to give up and to do. That Rochester church raised $90,000 to put this together. It's a church just a little bit smaller than, than the Davis and Free Methodist Church. There's no limit to what we can do if we have vision, if we've heard from God. No limit. By the way, the, the Rochester Free Methodist Church has changed too. <laughs> like they got a vision, they got twisted out of comfort zones, and off they went. Peter's mind and heart had been twisted by a God-shaped vision. The gospel is for the Gentiles too. It's for the whole world. I met uh, John DeVille a few years back. He was second in command uh, in the Ku Klux Klan. The right-hand man, uh, hand man of the famed David Duke of New Orleans. John came to our little church in Alexandria and uh, after two months he said to the pastor, he said, Preacher, you're getting to me. The next Sunday on the way out of church he shook hands with our godly pastor there and John DeVille began to sob. They turned around, they came back to the front of the church, knelt at the altar and John opened up his life to Jesus gave his heart to the Lord, became the director of Christian education in the Free Methodist Church down there in, in, the Alexand in Alexandria. And he said to me one day, we want to remember all those that's lost out there. Remember them, lifted, twisted, and tossed. Here's where the rubber meets the road. We can get lifted. Oh, we've got a new pastor coming. He has great experience. He's a wonderful preacher. God has blessed his ministries wherever he's gone. He has a fantastic wife. All those are true. But <clears throat> we may get twisted. I don't know. Our traditions, some of them, may get questioned. Our sacred cows might get challenged. Our ideas about what ought to be or what not ought to be may be put under a magnifying glass. It may happen, right? Do I hear an amen? <laughs> I mean, it might. Are you still there? Okay. I remember just four years ago when our new pastor in our little church in Rock Hill came on board. Boy, did he come in and make changes. I mean, he wanted, to, he wanted to turn our little building into a place that looked like Starbucks. 
because he wanted to reach a certain kind of, a certain segment of our community, an unchurched segment of our community. It's what he wanted to do. He said, so let's turn our church. And I, I thought, well, I'm being twisted here. Uh, I didn't say anything. I was just being twisted, you know. I thought, is this really what we want to do here? Well, they started the process. I went over and helped them uh, just because I thought I should. I, I didn't like it all that much. I mean, they were planning the, they were painting the ceiling black and all the, the walls gray and they tore up the carpet because they wanted a concrete floor, you know, stained concrete floor. I was there helping them pull up the carpet that I didn't want to get pulled up. It, so I was just being twisted. But you know, it's really interesting because after the work was done, uh, <clears throat> the people we were hoping to reach for Jesus <clears throat> began slowly at first to start coming. People started coming to know the Lord as their Savior Lives began to get changed. Marriages began to get healed. You know, you just see all of this and you look back and you say, who cares what color the place is? Who cares what it looks like? You know, God is doing a work here. And over these three and a half years, the church has quadrupled, you know. Wouldn't that be something here in Davison? Huh? Quadrupled? 1,200 people? Glenn's already taken a church to 1,200 people, you know. Well, anyway, I'm getting lost here. I'm getting caught up in this. <clears throat> Peter said, the Holy Spirit told me. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry about them being Gentiles. Get this. Peter would have to toss away a lifetime of conditioning in order to enter a whole new paradigm whose outer dimensions are still unfathomed by many Christians and churches across the world. This past Wednesday evening, uh, we were in Charlie Richards' class discussing toxic beliefs. Many shared their experiences from the past, their upbringing in legalistic settings where there was regular emphasis on what we should not do what we should not do as Christians. I don't uh, remember anyone saying that they wished we could go back there. No, what we want today is to be positive, forward-looking, lively followers of Jesus. And the reason we want this is so that people do not, <clears throat> who do not know Jesus will be drawn to Him. We want the world to look on us and say, Behold, how they love one another. <clears throat> Pastor Glenn will work with you on going. Going into the towns and villages and neighborhoods. Going into the world in search of God's cherished missing. You'll be lifted and twisted and tossed. And when you're tossed, that is when you go as a church in groups, as individuals... You'll do what Peter did and discover what Peter discovered. He went to tell Cornelius and his household how to be saved, how to know God personally. And the results? Well, he says, I began telling them the good news. 
But just as I was getting started, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as He fell on us in the beginning. Uh, I often ask myself, Snyder, what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice to see people come to know Jesus? Janet and I have had the privilege of world travel. We've been in worship services and worked with churches across Europe, Africa, Asia, and across Latin America. We've seen almost every style, form, demonstration, and volume of celebration, reflection, and worship that we can imagine. There's been dancing and jumping and shouting. There's been kneeling and lying on the ground and hands raised. There's been loud shouting and there's been whispering. And much more, there have been hymns and choirs and rock music and contemporary music and rap. You ever been to a rap service? I have been. Some of it's been real. God-anointed, inspired. Some of it's been false. Man-generated and self-focused. When Peter obeyed God, the first response from a portion of the church was criticism. When Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, some of the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them. You know, there are some people who find change really hard. It's not a criticism. We have different personalities. Some people just find change difficult. And when we are lifted to a fresh vision which calls for a twisting away from the same old, same old, some people get nervous. The complaining button gets pushed and often the mouth begins to speak. I hope and pray that in, if complaining and compelling seems necessary, that it will be taken not to brothers and sisters and not to little groups of friends, but to the one whose ideas and actions generated the complaint, whether it be the pastor or someone else in leadership in the church. These folks that were critical of Peter, of what Peter had done, says the Word of God, held their complaints to themselves until Peter arrived in Jerusalem, and then they went to him about their concerns. That was good. That was really healthy. This gave Peter opportunity to explain, to dialogue, and to review. And what happened? When the others heard this, all their objections were answered, and they began praising God, recognizing that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of turning from sin and receiving eternal life. You see, they set aside unnecessary traditions. They set aside unholy sacred cows. And now they were being tossed into God's service as ambassadors, as God's missionaries, not just their little group, but into the whole world. Jesus' words had come full circle and had finally struck home. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, Genesee County, throughout Judea, Michigan, in Samaria, the United States, and to the ends of the earth, to Uganda and Haiti and Mexico and China and, 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 and. Lift us, O oh God, to your vision. 
twist us away from ineffective traditions and unholy sacred cows and toss us into your service, any ministry, any place you desire, that we may find ways to bring people into your life, your presence, to the glory of God. Amen. I just want to do one thing. I want to applaud you. No, don't applaud back. I want to applaud you, Janet, too. Thank you, and God bless you. Ah, what a joy. Go. Go. <clears throat>